0: Welcome, everyone. So glad you're joining us today. We're using Strength to Love, a collection of sermons written by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Last week, Reverend Marilyn explained you know, this book of sermons, these sermons were actually given during that extended bus strike that is so very famous in our history, taking place in Alabama. Some of these sermons were written while Dr. King was in, in jail in Alabama because of that bus strike. This is the 60th anniversary of when this was first published, and so a lovely book. Really, everybody should probably have this book, because it speaks not only to the condition of what African Americans were going through in the 50s, and I would argue still going through 60 years later, but it also speaks to the larger issues that we have facing us right now of, of war, of disenfranchisement for people of poverty, of, uh, well, really anyone that isn't right in what we would consider the mainstream right now is struggling. And so a a book certainly of our times as well as of the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s. So today, I'm going to cover one of his perhaps most famous sermons, and it relies on... You know, I think this is so interesting. In his church, all he had to say was the parable of the Good Samaritan, and everybody could probably have recited it to him, right? Today, I think I have to actually read the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, to you all. We'll call it a refresher, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if some people don't even really know that parable. So this is from uh, the New Testament, Luke 10.25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to attain eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly replied Jesus, do this and you will have eternal life. But the person representing the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and exactly who are my neighbors? In reply, Jesus gave this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving the man half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by as well. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw them, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go, and thou do as likewise." Well, of course, 2,000 years later, some of these terms and ideas maybe we need to explain. And as you know, when we do a metaphysical interpretation of especially the parables, there's several levels of meaning here. But first, I think we need to talk just a little bit about the literal meaning of this, because some of the terms aren't familiar. First of all, the expert in Jewish law Law here means Jewish law. And so, so when he was asked, well, what does the law mean to you? He was reading from the Old Testament, which would have been very familiar to everyone in his audience. And so when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, that is the primary Jewish commandment that's recognized. That is Jewish law for how we're to treat one another. But the idea of this being on the road to Jericho would have had a special meaning for people too. Any of you who have actually visited the Holy Land recognize that Jericho and Jerusalem are only 15 miles apart, but you descend 3,200 feet to get there. So you start out on the, the height. And it's a torturous, windy road to make your way down to Jericho. And what we know in terms of a metaphysical meaning here is that you're going from the heights of your thoughtfulness. You're going from your spiritual nature, descending the torturous path into living your life. And so, really, this is a metaphor for us as we live our lives. Our intentions for good, our intentions for love, our intentions for being our best, those are on top of the mountain. And unfortunately, then, we have to descend into the real world through all of its troubles, through all of the, the, what do I want to call it, through all the mess that we see around us. And how do we then implement those good intentions? Well, the parable, of course, is about someone who fell uh, in the midst of robbers and and what is being robbed from us? are our, our very desires, our very goals, that which is important to us. So often in this human experience they seem to be taken away from us. Circumstances seem to pull the very life out of us. And what do we have to depend upon? Now you might wonder, well, who were these priests? Who were these Levites? These in theory were tribes of the person left behind, left for dead. The priest would have been a high temple priest from Jerusalem on that same journey who chose just to walk by. The Levite, another one of the tribes of Abraham, should have been there to help this poor fellow. They were a part of his community. And so again, the parable is saying, you know, there are times when we cannot even count on the people who should stick up for us. Even the very people, even our family members may not always be there for us. There may be circumstances beyond our control, but nonetheless, we have to be able to rely even on strangers. And there is the promise in this parable, I think too, that we will be helped, that there will be people along the way if we're willing to accept the help, if we're willing to accept the hand that is outstretched, that there can be that resurrection. There can be that idea of new life. There can be that idea even of regaining what has been lost to us. Now, of course, there's the other side of the parable as well. The parable is largely told from the point of view of the person who has lost their way, who has been robbed, left for dead. But equally, the story, when we examine it metaphysically, right, is of that of the Good Samaritan, Samaritan interestingly enough at that particular time were not friends to the Jewish people they had been in armed conflict for many years right and so the thought that a Samaritan would stop an actual enemy would stop out of the goodness of his heart and as we read further in the parable out of the goodness of his own peril and pocketbook This would have actually astounded Jesus' listeners, right? It it would have been as though uh, I I told a story of, uh, I don't know, a a modern-day heretic coming to the aid of someone. Do you know what I mean? It it would have been perceived as, oh my gosh, listen to this story. He's talking about someone who has well-hated coming to the aid of someone when no one else would. So we've interpreted both the literal meaning and the metaphysical meaning here. I want to embellish this, well, maybe put a little bit of a twist in it by talking about Dr. King's interpretation in his famous sermon here. Because he talked about the Samaritan in a little bit different way. And, and I think he encourages us to view ourselves as that Samaritan. First of all, he talks about the idea of three levels of compassion. Universal compassion, dangerous compassion, and excessive compassion. And I want to spend just a minute talking about those. But I think where I want to start is with universal compassion, and I'll use my joke to illustrate. So an older man approached a younger woman at a shopping mall. Excuse me, I can't seem to find my wife. Can I talk to you for a few minutes?" Well, the woman, feeling deep compassion for this lost old fellow, said, Of course, sir. Let's sit down until we find her. Do you remember where you last saw her? Do you know where your wife might be? Well, I have no idea, but, you know, in my experience, if I sit down to converse with a kind younger woman, she'll seem to pop out of nowhere. And so the first level of compassion (laughs) that Dr. King talks about is that kind of compassion. Are you willing just to sit down with a stranger who's lost? Do you take the time, the basic human kindness, to deal with people as you encounter them day to day? Are you willing just to notice around you people that could use a little extra help? Are you one to carry a bag of apples so that when someone's hungry, you can provide one? If you were the one that saw the lost elderly man in the mall, uh, would you be willing just to check in with him? Are you doing okay? Do you need some help? When you notice an accident and no police cars and no one for help, do you call 911 just to make sure that it has been reported already? These are the simple kindnesses, the universal com- kindnesses that Dr. King says really implies complete unity, that, that we're able to say, there but for the grace of God go I, I recognize it in someone, and I will be there for them. Now this one is the simplest of all, he calls it the basic compassion. He says we're all up for it, and I think we are all up for it. Some days we're maybe too busy. Some days we, we maybe overlook some of the opportunities for us to show that level of kindness, that level of compassion. But I would think that everyone here has that basic level of compassion in them. So let's move on. The second one he talks about is dangerous compassion. And he actually uses the parable again by saying, you know, the good Samaritan was at some risk in doing this. The road to Jericho was perilous. One of the thoughts around the priest and the Levite moving on was, well, what if this is a scam? What if the person lying by the road as I'm bending over to check on him, might be a robber himself. Sometimes there is some actual danger involved in reaching out to help people. Will it be misunderstood? Will I get in trouble for it? I remember something that my stepfather once told me that I had to actually think about for a minute. He had an idea that every good deed might be punished. Have you ever heard that old statement, no good deed goes unpunished? I think that's a real thing. I think that for some of us, we're actually afraid to help one another lest something happens, lest they take advantage of it, lest we're overextended in some way, lest uh, uh, the people around us might, might bring shame unto us. And Martin Luther King said, so what? If we are not willing to risk some of ourselves to come to the aid of a stranger even, then there's not much here. There's not much personal merit. We're about risk-taking for one another. And he encouraged that. He used the parable of the Good Samaritan. He also pointed out some of the people that literally risked their lives in that extended bus situation in Alabama that he went through. People were willing to be sent to jail. People were willing to be hosed down by the police. There were some terrible brutalities that took place during that time just to win the right for whites and blacks to be on the same bus together. Are we willing to take risks for what we believe in? Now here comes the challenging part, right? He's really challenging us not only to stand for things, but also to take a risk for things. And he specifically uses the idea of those of us who are willing to write a check versus those who are willing to make an investment from the heart. Now, I think most of us have probably had an opportunity, whether it's the war in Ukraine, whether it's the civil rights movement here in America that still goes on, whether it's some other injustice that we see here in America or our world. I know many of us have written a check. Many of us have said, this is important to me. I want to stand for this. The least I can do is to write a check in service to this group of people. And Dr. King would say, that's wonderful, and he would say, and, and, what are we actually willing to risk? How can we not only put our money where our mouth is, but put our actions where our mouth is? The third thing that he challenges us on, uh, which I love, is what he calls excessive compassion. (laughs) Now, you might say, well, how can compassion be excessive? And he goes on again with the parable. He says, really, the man brought him on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and paid for him to be there. And Dr. King says, this may be excessive, and yet, and yet, is it not indicative of desiring the complete healing? So often, I think that when we do try to help people, we, we do this sort of quick fix. We, we, we kind of want that idea of one and done. Uh, you know, here's the handout, but I'm not gonna address the real problem, perhaps. And, and don't get me wrong, Absolutely don't get me wrong. When someone needs a meal, when someone needs a ride to the doctor, when someone needs to make the call to 911, please... Do not think in any way that that is less than perfect, because that is exactly what needs to be done. You have the power to bring that level of attention to bear in a crisis. Please, please, please follow those human instincts to do what's necessary. But what Dr. King is saying is, why is the road to Jericho so dangerous? Why do we still have troubles between the races here in America? Why are we having a war between Ukraine and Russia? It is right and proper to come to the aid of people in the midst of crisis, but what are we to do about the crisis itself? This is the excessive level of compassion that he's really talking about. What do we need to do to make the road to Jericho safe for all? What do we need to do to make sure that there cannot be another war? What are we going to do not just to help a a homeless person here in the Portland area with a meal? What are we going to do to promote the idea of ending homelessness? I know you're all looking at me like, please, Larry, tell me the answer, <laughs> right? And I wish I could. I wish I could. The trouble with the idea of what Dr. King calls excessive compassion is that there aren't easy answers. Having a bag of apples in your car isn't quite enough. Uh, being able to call one when you see one um, having an emergency is sufficient in the moment, but it isn't going to uh, pull us through the long haul. This requires that excessive level of compassion where we actually become involved in the issues that are important to us. Writing a check, absolutely, but also taking part in citizen action committees, making sure that our votes count, Doing what's necessary to make sure personally that the graffiti in our neighborhoods gets painted over. Helping neighbors to to secure their properties in ways that are safe for everyone. Doing what's necessary at a local, at a a civic-wide, and at a country-wide, and even at a planet-wide way to make sure that the road to Jericho can be safe. So I do have a bit of homework for you today, and I don't think it'll be as terrible as some of my homeworks are. I hope not, you'll be the judge. I'd like you to examine some of the world events right now. Just pick one of the upsetting events that are going on in the world right now. It might be racism, it might be the war in Ukraine, it might be the issue of homelessness here in the Portland area. Pick some of the world events that are going on right now How can you show your compassion for the people who are currently being robbed on the road to Jericho? And think of it in terms of the three levels of compassion that Dr. King talks about. Universal compassion, putting yourself in their position. What would I do just as a human being? The idea of dangerous compassion, like what can I give of myself beyond just money? How can I perhaps put myself on the edge in a way that will make a difference? And then the third one, excessive compassion. What can I do to get at the root cause of what's going on? So again, homework, examine one of the world's events that's bothering you right now. How can you show your compassion for people who are being robbed on the road to Jericho? I wanna close from a, a beautiful quote Uh, from this particular sermon that he gave. He says, more than ever before, my friends, people of all races and nations are today challenged to be neighborly. The call for a worldwide good neighbor policy is more than ephemeral. It is the call to a way of life that will transform our imminent cosmic elegy into a psalm of creative fulfillment. No longer can we afford the luxury of passing by on the other side. Such folly was once called moral failure. Today it will lead to universal suicide. We cannot long survive spiritually separated in a world that is geographically brought together. In the final analysis, I must not ignore the wounded man on life's Jericho road, because he is a part of me, and I am a part of him, and his agony diminishes me, and his salvation is what will save me. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness, one universal love and compassion, and I fall upon it on this day. I take it up in my own heart and allow my own heart to become enlarged, large enough to work miracles on the road to Jericho. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person within the hearing of my voice. Each of us has that capacity for extending a hand in compassion, in love to our fellow human beings. Each of us has the capacity to not only write checks, but to give of themselves in a more personal way to perhaps even dangerously give of ourselves in a way that can make all the difference. For this, I give great thanks. For this, I simply recognize the love for each one of us, for the other, as we are unified in the Spirit of God. I release this prayer, I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. so happy to have you here we hope you enjoyed today's podcast if you happen to be in the portland oregon area we'd love to have you visit in person the portland center for spiritual living is located at 6211 northeast martin luther king jr boulevard We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, You are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.